A squatter is an invader, somebody that comes and takes over your house and your property, and you can't get rid of them. It's okay. Not too long from not too long ago, some people went on vacation, came back home, and there was a whole bunch of people in their house. They owned the house, they're making the payments. The house wasn't contested, not under, not under foreclosure, nothing. They come home, and there's a whole bunch of people in their house they don't know. They asked them to leave. The people said, no, we're squatters. You know, they had to go to court to get them out. That's crazy. In the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 5 through, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, uh, a very sad account of the history of Israel plays out. I want to read it to you, and then I'm going to read another short Passage. I'm going to talk to you today about the danger of squatters in your promised land. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation, everybody say, and I hate preachers that do this to me, but indulge me. Say, after that whole generation. You young people, you kids... Listen to the word of God. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Parents, are you listening? Please do not think that a church can do in three or four hours a week what doesn't get done in your home the other 158. Your children's spiritual well-being is not the children's pastor or the youth pastor's or the senior pastor's responsibility. It's yours. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They did what? They followed and worshipped the various gods of who? The people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And now in Judges 3, verses 5 through 6, the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. There are a couple of thoughts about squatters in the promised land. And number one, usually you put these at the end of a message, but I put them at the beginning today. Number one, if we're going to go all in for God, we can't leave squatters in our lives. If we're going all in for God, our church has embarked on a great adventure, on a, on a powerful initiative called All In. And basically all it is is we're challenging every individual person to go places in God, higher, deeper, further, more sincerely, more intensely, more fervently, more passionately, with deeper consecration, devotion, and commitment than you ever have in your life. When you walk around that corner on the wall, we have painted all in. We want you to go all in. We want us to be all in for God because I'm here to tell you when Jesus stretched out His hands and died at that moment, He was all in for us. We've got to get rid of the squatters in our lives. The Bible says in the great big ten commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. A squatter is something in our lives from our past life 
or from, from a, an, a, an aberration of the Word of God. When I say our past life, I don't mean reincarnation now. I mean our past. Or, or an aberration from the Word of God or some foreign thing that has leached its way into our lives that ought not to be there. A squatter is something that is in our lives that ought not to be there. God doesn't want his word to be diluted or perverted by false teaching. God doesn't want his word to be diluted or perverted by false teaching. Now, I want to say something here, and I want you to hear me with great gravitas and grace. Okay? This is very important. If it's not straight out of the Bible, it can be wrong. And the first place we go with that is our own opinion. I need to tell you, as your pastor, for the last 21 going on 22 years, I have found that people get in more trouble just deciding what they're going to believe in their own mind and being in love with their own opinion than anything else. Just because we think something doesn't mean it's right. Amen? Y'all need to have a better amen than that. Just because we think something doesn't mean it's right. Let's, let's do a survey proof test. How many of you can say you've had somebody spread a rumor about you that wasn't true? Raise your hand. Now, and, and the people that heard it believed it. But you knew it wasn't true, right? Just because we think it, just because we hear it, just because somebody says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because we believe it doesn't make it so. Our tendency is toward the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is a verse that I didn't understand until I was about 15 years old. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Well, when I was a little boy, I didn't, I didn't know, know what the word misled was. I thought it was misled. Do not be misled. I spent months trying to figure out, what does it mean to be misled? And one day as a teenager, it dawned on me, oh, that's misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Notice it does not say good company transforms bad character. Because our tendency is denigration. Listen, Confucius say, he who sleep with skunk wake up smell funny. We are influenced, whether we want to be or not, by the people that hang around us. We are influenced by the things we watch online, on TV. We're influenced by the things we read. We are influenced by the culture in which we find ourselves immersed. It is virtually impossible for us to be so purely individualistic that we can move through life without any external influences aggregating themselves into our sphere of existence and engineering us toward their belief system. It's incredibly important for us to understand none of us is immune from the power of influence. So then what do we do? We guard the influences and the influencers in our lives. Who are these squatters and how do we drive them out? Who are these squatters and how do we drive them out? Well, I, I, I could have chosen thousands of different potential examples of squatters in the promised land, but the Holy Spirit prompted me to deal with three. So I'm going to deal with these, and when I get to the second one, I want you to realize that we have 
all the little children in the audience with us today. So when I get to the second one, I'm going to have to be careful. And you'll understand what I mean by that. And I hope you understand the things I'm trying to say that I choose not to say for the benefit of little ears among us. The first one is pride. I believe that pride is pretty much the root of all sin. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Pride was the original sin. Lucifer said, I'll make myself like the Most High God. Pride is selfish. Pride is being in love with our own opinion. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to hear it with great understanding and grace. To me, one of the greatest earmarks of immaturity in a person, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and socially, is the fact that they are unwilling to learn anything new. They're unwilling to change their mind. They're unwilling to adjust their thinking. They know what they know, and you're never going to tell them any different. That's the height of arrogance to me. When you become unteachable, you're now plateaued at the level of immaturity where you are. We should all be lifetime students, right? Lifetime students primarily of the Word of God. And then of how the Word of God dynamically interacts with our everyday living. What does pride look like? It looks like this, unwilling to serve in humility. Oh, I'll serve, but I don't want to dip ice cream. I want to be out front somewhere. I'll serve, pastor, but I don't want to vacuum the floors. That's for somebody else. I want to do something where I'll be seen. Oh, I I love people, but that homeless guy that came in the church, he just smells horrible. I don't want to get near him. Watch out. Pride's at work. James even talks about that showing preferential treatment to people. What if we had a homeless guy come in here and he smelt to high heaven and was dirty and nasty? How would we treat him? We as a church need to address that in our hearts. If we're going to show the love of Christ, I'm not saying you have to approve. I'm not saying you got to invite him home with you. But I am saying don't treat him like he's got tuberculosis or AIDS and don't get close to him. we got to show people the love of Christ. Even the, the people we might think are unsavory, were it not for the grace of God, we ourselves may be in that situation. Pastor of a huge church dressed up one time. You can see it online. Uh, on purpose, dressed up like a homeless person, big beard, disguised himself and went into the church. And taught his church a big lesson because everybody treated him with disdain and ostracized him. That is not the love of Christ. That's pride. Well, don't want to serve in humility. Don't like certain types of people. I'm going to say something now. And I want you to hear it. All right? There's no black people going to heaven. Just not. I got an amen from a black person. She knows what I'm going to say next. Ain't no white people going to heaven either. Ain't no Oriental people going to heaven. Ain't no American Indians going to heaven. Ain't no race going to heaven. Ain't but one thing going to heaven. Christians. And your soul don't have no color. You better be treating people like that now. And I'm going to tell you, that can be hard to do. Because sometimes people behave themselves in such a way that make our flesh want to just stereotype everybody that's in that race in the same group and think, well, they're all like that. We better stop that. 
We better not go down that road because everybody's not the same. I know some good old-fashioned white folks that I don't want you to think I'm like them. (laughs) Where did the races come from? Personal opinion, I believe the Tower of Babel. God confused our languages, why not confuse our races too? Another way that pride manifests itself in our lives, and this one is a little bit more insidious and hard to detect. Is your hurt too big for God to heal? That's pride. Sometimes we think our sin, our hurt, our failure, everybody else is in history. Oh, God could forgive all. But I'm the Adolf Hitler of sin. God can't forgive my sin. It's just too heinous, too evil, too wicked. You ain't even thought of the stuff God's seen across the last 6,000 years of our existence. You haven't even imagined some of the wickedness and evil that has existed in civilizations past. And God's grace and Jesus' blood washes all sin away. You stop listening to the devil. You haven't committed a sin so grievous God can't forgive it. There's only one sin for which you can't get forgiveness, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And your presence in this church today is confirmation that you probably have not done that ever in your life. And don't go home and try to worry about if I committed that. If you're even concerned about it, you have not. Don't worry about that. Concern yourself with God's love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness because His blood washes all our sins away aren't you glad you don't have to wear guilt aren't you thankful you can be clean aren't you glad that your sin is washed and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ pride is actually love of self you can sing born this way now it's a song somebody wrote born this way like well I'm born this way and that's just it look we're all born the same way we're born in sin we need a savior we need Jesus you know, you know what kind of amazes me? I know a lot of good people. I mean, I know some people that are just good as gold. Give you the shirt off their back. Nice, sweet, hardly a bad thing to say about anybody. Just conduct themselves so nicely. But they're not really Christians. This is, this is kind of shocking in its, in its impact because it seems like dissonance, cognitive dissonance. But can I just tell you this truthfully? Maybe it might be that the biggest group of people in hell are good people that lived a good life, never did anything wrong to anybody, maybe never even broke a law, but they never gave themselves to Jesus Christ. Listen, our goodness, our well-behavedness is not going to get us into heaven. Your connections with a church or a preacher aren't going to get you into heaven. The fact that you hold an office in the church is not going to cut it. The fact that you have credentials with a, with a ministerial organization means absolutely nothing to God. It is salvation through grace by faith. It is repentance of sin, acceptance of Jesus Christ, living a life that's upright and holy before the Lord. Man, America and the church needs to come back to the good old-fashioned understanding that we need to repent from our sins and humble ourselves before God and get rid of all this positive mentality preaching and prosperity doctrine that does not exist in the Bible and we need to come back to good old fashioned repentance before God pride is love of self pride is the master of disguise 
by virtue of its nature, pride does not want you to know it's there. Because we're too prideful to admit that we're prideful. If we admit that we're prideful, then we're admitting that we've got a fault. And we can't do that because of pride. It's like circular reasoning. Listen, I'll tell you a story. I used to be in really top shape physically. I did. And I got for a while, I got into playing racquetball. And I played racquetball, and I got good at it. And I, I got to where I, I, nobody was beating me at racquetball. And then we moved from Georgia to New Mexico. And uh, I met J.R. Gould, and he was a good racquetball player. I was good. So we decided we'd play doubles. And so we went to Kirtland Air Force Base, where they had racquetball courts up there and uh, one time I went up there and JR wasn't with me I decided well I'll just find somebody to play racquetball with and I mean I was in pretty good shape and so and I thought I was really good at racquetball and I saw this guy standing over there by himself had big old glasses on looked like a model for Humpty Dumpty he was round in the middle and narrow at the top and waddled around like a duck and he was just sitting there i said man you got somebody to play with he said nope a guy walked by and looked at me and went (laughs) i thought what's he got bad breath i said you want to play he said okay and i thought i said how long have you been playing he said oh wow i thought i'm gonna mop the floor with this little dumpy guy you know i got up there and i pap pap I did my little stand. I got all fancy and ready. You ready? He's sitting back there. Yeah. I said, pow, wham. And I looked around, and before I could look around, the ball was pop, rolling out of the front. One point for him, and I'm like, okay. So he takes over. I didn't serve again. That dude took me and mopped the floor, the walls, the ceiling, it's like he had 16-foot arms. He just stood there. Blap, 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 blap. It didn't matter where I hit it. He hit a rollout shot. I thought I was good. That dude taught me some manners. You talk about humility. I went over and I said, man, you're the best racquetball player I've ever played against. He said, well, I wish I was that good. I said, you are that good. Believe me. He said, I appreciate that, but I got a lot to learn. I thought, yeah, so do I. I could not admit to myself that there was anybody that might just destroy me at racquetball until after that. Pride doesn't want to admit it's there. Pride wants to make us think we're more than we are. Pride is actually the master of disguise. How do we overcome pride? Number one, remember this is the root of all evil. Pride, love of self, self-will. Every evil thing in the world can be traced back to selfishness. If you have problems in your marriage... Stop looking at your spouse and start looking at yourself. Now listen to me. You will never resolve the problems in your marriage by focusing on the problems of your spouse. You will only fix your marriage when you stop and start focusing on yourself. I know you've all heard of flamethrowers. I think a lot of folks are born with a blamethrower. 
We've got to remember this is the root of all evil. In the light of God's power and perfection, our pride dies. Here's a, here's a video I want to show you, a little clip. Per- per- perfectly demonstrates this. Watch this. Do I have a God complex? Dr. Kessler says yes. Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea as to the kind of grades one has to receive in college to be accepted at a top medical school. If you have the vaguest clue as to how talented someone has to be to lead a surgical team. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England. And I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you. When someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, you go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church and with any luck you might win the annual raffle, but if you're looking for God... He was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. We all look at that and we go, but the fact of the matter is when we are intractable, when we are intransigent, when we are so confident that we're right and no one can tell us that we're wrong, when we are determined, listen, when we are determined to live life on our terms, our way, no change, don't you tell me what to do, preacher. Don't you tell me how I should live. When we are absolutely rigid and unwilling to change, refuse to admit our own sins and flaws, that is the same kind of pride you just saw on the screen. I am God over my own life. I'm God over my own lifestyle. I'm going to be God in choosing my friends. I'm going to be God in choosing my partners, if you know what I mean. I'm going to be God, whether I'm married or not, I'm going to be God over my morals or lack thereof. And don't you tell me different, because this is 2017, and we are going to be free to do what we want to do. This isn't 1943 anymore. No, it's not. And God hasn't changed one bit from 1943 to today, and He's never going to change, and His command is still, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We must surrender ourselves. We must surrender ourselves. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You can find places that just won't deal with this stuff this way. They'll gloss this over. They'll sugarcoat this. Most of the time, they'll just avoid it. But the message in tongues and the interpretation this morning talked about Jesus coming for a church without what? Spot or wrinkle. Holy, without blemish. I know what you're thinking. Well, ain't nobody perfect. Probably not. That's exactly why Jesus died on the cross. That's exactly why we need to fall on our face at his feet. That's exactly why we need to come to an altar and repent and ask God to forgive me. That's exactly why we don't need pride to deceive us into thinking that we can just be the captain of our own destiny. 
The next one, and this is where I have to be careful. I'm sure you'll all appreciate that. The next one I want to talk about today is lust. Lust. Out of control, technicalized thoughts. Seeing people as objects. (laughs) How many of you ever read Song of Solomon? Well, what a way with words this guy has. Uh, Let me read you this. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Song of Songs 4.1. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. I have never told Pastor Donna. Pudding pie, your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. <laughs> so watch she smile. Every time she smiles, there's sheep, you know. You know what sheep leave behind? Ooh, honey, that breath. You need to floss, too. <laughs> Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Well, that's kind of thin. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. I just don't understand that. Pomegranate and romance has never crossed boundaries in my mind. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields. Honey, I love you. Your brands are like two fawns. The twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Not going to comment on that. I just hope I never see it. What does the Bible say about this? Colossians 3, 5 through 6 is a great lesson for us about lust. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual <laughs> immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's going to make you a champion. Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. Because of these, you're going to get a Rolls Royce. No, I'm sorry. It says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you know what? We just don't want to believe that, do we? We just think that if we think enough positive thoughts, it'll keep at bay the wrath of God. We need to understand that God does have wrath, and it does come into our lives on the heels of our disobedience. It is important for us to submit ourselves to God. The first thing about lust is that it's like a fire. The more fuel you put on it, the more fire. The more fuel, the more fire. Uh, May the 18th, 19th, and 20th, uh, we're having a men's camp out. Are y'all ready? You ready? Say, hoo Yeah, we got about two dozen guys signed up. We'd like to get more. It's free. It just, just all you need is a tent and a sleeping bag and something to eat. Just come. And if you don't have a tent, bring a tarp and just lay on the ground. You can do it. Uh, I, might sl- I might do that. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, we want you to come sign up out there. Uh, 
it's, it's important that we understand that I'm going to be doing a bushcraft class and it's going to be on, you know, fire, how to make a proper fire lay, um, how, how to use a ferrocerium rod to, to light that fire in so many different ways. And I'm going to be teaching that to you in, in a brief one-hour short bushcraft class. Um, also be doing some teaching on fly fishing. And you don't have to do that if you don't want, but, but if you want to, you're welcome to attend. It won't cost you anything. Um, fire just burns. And the more you put on it, the more the fire burns. And the trick of lust is when, when people are caught up in pornography, <coughs> they, <coughs> they just think, well, okay, just one more time. You know, a recent survey found that 40% of pastors in America are addicted to pornography. 40%. I'm trying to be careful. And so the seduction is... Uh, just one last time, just one last time, well, you just put a whole other log on that fire. This is something you can't play with. Of all the sins in the Bible, God gives this one special emphasis. He, he sees it as a kind of adultery. He equates this with idolatry in Scripture. Think of the power in that. It's important for us to understand. We can conquer this. We just have to stop putting fuel on the fire. Lust, if not conquered, always drags us deeper into it. It's never satisfied. It's never content. Several serial killers in American history started with soft <clears throat> And it gradually got worse and more intense and worse and more intense until finally they had to act it out in real life. And, you know, they didn't get up at 12 years of age and go buy their first little magazine and say, well, someday I want to be a sadistic serial killer, so in order to prepare for that, I guess I need to start looking at this magazine now. No, they didn't do that. It gradually seduced them over time, and it gets to the point that we're desensitized, and what did satisfy won't, and the, the bonds are stronger and tighter. If I had sewing thread, I could bring the biggest guy in this church up here and I could get you to hold your wrists together. And I could put sewing thread around your wrist. One time, you could break it. Three times, you could break it. Twelve times, you could probably break it. But if I kept going, it wouldn't take but 20 or 30 turns on that thing, sewing thread, and you couldn't break it. Think about that. It's the gradual, insidious, slow, imperceptible decline of our morals that toxifies our lives and desensitizes us to the danger that we're in. It's like the frog in the kettle. You know, if you put a frog in boiling water, he'll jump right out. But if you put him in room temperature water and gradually turn up the heat, he'll stay in that pot until he dies because he just doesn't realize what's happening. That's how it is with lust and pornography. Overcome. How do you overcome this? This is an issue of lordship. Remember that old, I think it might have been the first original course. They sang, they sang it back in the cave days. He is Lord. Remember that? He, I remember even the song. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow 
Every tongue confess. And of course, the worship leader did it like this. That Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want to go up there and grab him and say, stop that. Are you swatting flies? What? Maybe we should rewrite some of our worship songs. He's almost Lord. He's almost Lord. It's all about me, Jesus. You want to conquer this? You have to let Jesus become Lord of your life. Lord of everything. You have to surrender to his complete lordship. Lord means supreme ruler. It means I have all authority. It means nothing's held back from me. I've owned it all, and I still own it all, and I'm the one who calls the shots in your life. Lordship. Almost every gray area of our lives is an issue of lordship. Cyclical habits that drag us downward. It's a lordship issue. The Bible is clear about being drunk. Don't go out to a bar and, or lounge and hang out with your friends and drink till you're sauced. And that doesn't mean pass out sloppy. What does drunk even mean? We don't, the Bible is not clear about it. So you've got to be very careful with this stuff. It's dangerous. That needs to be something that we understand is an issue of lordship. How about habits you can't break? Like the one we're talking about right now. Pornography. It's an issue of lordship. We have to take our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you can control your thought life by controlling what you choose to think and controlling what you put into your life, when you can control your thought life, then you have had and you have found the key to victory. We need to be able to control our thoughts and take them captive. Because as a man thinks within himself, what? So he is, Proverbs 23, 7. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Yeah, and we speak life or death in everything we say. Now, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a girl. I've made a covenant with my eyes. There are a lot of people in America today, in churches this morning, all around our nation, who need to make a covenant with their eyes, fresh and new. Listen, don't think there's any room you can go to that's so private God can't see. Don't think there's anything you can do or I can do that's so secret God doesn't know. He knows all about us. The good news is he loves us anyway, he just doesn't approve of the sin. I said he loves us anyway, he just doesn't approve of the sin. I said he loves us anyway, but he never is going to approve of the sin. We need to be able to understand those two things can happen at the same time. My father was a living example of that. I knew he loved me. I also knew he did not approve of disobedience. It didn't take him but a minute to demonstrate that on the place God provided for it. And after he got done with that, you'd feel free to fry eggs on it if you wanted to. And this, this little problem of lust takes on many forms. It's not just about sex. <laughs> it's about covetousness. Let me tell you something. This whole it's not fair thing is going crazy in our society right now. Let me, let me put this to you. I see people all the time with signs up saying share the wealth. I never see any signs saying share the work. Amen. Nobody owes us anything. Nobody who's got money owes me their money. I didn't earn that money. That's not my money. That's their money. Yeah. 
Why should I feel covetous for something I didn't work at? If we lived in a survival situation and we lived on the beach and the only food we had was clams and coconuts, if Joe goes out every evening and digs up 30 clams and collects 12 coconuts and brings them back to his hut and you slept the whole time, now it's dark and you hungry. Does Joe owe you any clams and coconuts? No, he's got 16 children to feed. He ain't giving you no clams. He ain't giving you no coconuts, and you don't, you don't deserve any. You want coconuts? Get up off the bed. Go out there and dig clams. Harvest your coconuts and be happy. This whole, you owe me something. It ain't fair. It ain't right. None of that is based in the principles of God's word that says, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Nobody owes us anything. Greed. When is enough enough? How thick does the steak need to be? How big does the house have to be? How new and expensive does the car need to be? How many pairs of shoes is it going to take to make you happy? How many purses and, and how expensive are they going to be? Is a, is a $50 purse enough? Is a, is a $150 purse enough? Is a $500 purse enough? Or you've got to have a Ferragamo $15,000 purse. Which, well, how much is enough? How, what does it take to make us happy? Is it an eighth of a, a carrot? Is it a quarter? Is it a half? Is it one? Is it two? Is it six? Do we got to have a rock so big we have to have somebody haul our hand around in a wheelbarrow behind us? How how much does it take? Greed. How about power? Almost every war, almost every argument in your life, everything that's going on politically in our country, it's all about the struggle for power. Most marriages, now I want to set something straight here. Listen to me. Most marriage counselors will tell you that the great problems in marriage are two, and they are communication and finances. That is not true. In my experience, I don't care if, a, if somebody's got 18 PhDs from every university in America, they're dead wrong. I know from 40 years of experience what the big problem in marriage is. It is the power struggle. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the dominant force here? That's the problem. And if we can conquer that by getting over our self-will, getting over our pride, stop having to win and get in the last word and grow up, marriages can be beautiful. The last thing I want to talk about today, the third one, the third squatter in the promised land. There, There are actually six that are listed in Scripture, and they have sort of representations of different things, but I knew I didn't have time to go over six. I just wanted to do three. Felt like the Lord would prompt me to do that. The last one I want to talk about today is lukewarmness. Revelation chapter 3 To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Lukewarmness, the loss of passion, the loss of passion. Have you lost your passion for God? What great thing has taken away your fervor for God? Can you remember it? Can you think back to it? What great event has caused you to shift into neutral in the things of God? Distractions. Oh, I'm so busy with work. Oh, I'm so busy with projects. 
Oh, I'm so busy with the house. Oh, I'm so busy with the kids. Oh, we're trying to get this new house off the ground, this new business off the ground. Listen, if we're too busy for God, we're too busy. Because without God, you're going to just go out there in the strength of your own flesh and your own wits and work yourself to death. But with God, he will give you favor that only God can give you. Disappointments. All of us have suffered disappointments. What great disappointment has put you on the sidelines of the will of God? What great disappointment has carved you out of ministry leadership? What great disappointment has made you look at church and the kingdom of God with a sideways glance and all of a sudden when you used to be so on fire, used to be so fervent for God, now because of these distractions and disappointments, all of a sudden you, you now you, you second guess everything you ever believed and everything you ever were. Don't you dare to let life engineer you around. Stop letting circumstances steer you. And start deciding who you are because you choose to be a child of God. If the great people in the Bible just let life steer them around, Job would have turned away from God. Noah would have ran for the high mountains and said, Run for your lives, we're all going to drown. Abraham would have grabbed a hold of Isaac and said, No! We don't operate with our flesh and our wits and we don't do things the way everybody else does them because we're God's chosen people, not us, humanity. All of us that are Christians is God's will for all of us to come to be children of God. It's not God's will for any to perish. Delay. I know nobody here has ever experienced delay. Sometimes it just takes time for things to happen. It's not fun to wait. God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Anybody that tells you different is lying to you. God answers those three ways. Yes, no, and wait. And I, a lot of times it'd be easier just to hear no than wait. Waiting is, it, it can be tortuous. Have you seen the little test they did with the kids and the marshmallows? They come in there, a little kid sitting there in a room with a plate in front of him. The lady puts down a marshmallow and says, now, you can eat that marshmallow now, or you can wait five minutes, and I'll give you another marshmallow. Oh, the torture. You can see smoke coming out of their ears. They'll sit there, and they'll look at it. One little girl was so cute. She picked it up and smelled it. She put it back down. They had a hidden camera. He picked it up, and she licked it. She put it back down. She looked at it, and she played with it. Rolled it around. She smelled, smelled it again. Licked it again. Put it back down. You know, isn't that just like us? We want to fiddle with the future. We want to mess with it. We want a taste of it. We want to smell it. We want a hint. God, give me a hint, 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 hint. No, I'm not going to tell you anything because if I told you what your future was, you'd run ahead of yourself and ruin it. Lukewarmness is patient. It's perfectly willing to take. 10 years of your life to shift you in the neutral. Lukewarmness is the fruit of doubt. Lukewarmness is the fruit of doubt. We become lukewarm when we begin to doubt that God is doing what he said he would do. We become lukewarm when we doubt the efficacy of God's word, when we doubt the power and flow and move of God's spirit, when we begin to wonder if God really does order our steps. We become lukewarm when we doubt that God exists, that all this is real. You watch enough 
YouTube videos, you watch enough television, you watch enough stream shows, you binge watch enough television, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to take you long to second guess every single thing you ever believed about God. Because the world is designed to undermine our faith. I'm not saying it's a sin to watch TV or binge watch shows. Just guard your heart and know before you start that Hollywood, by virtue of its nature, stands in opposition to whatever the Bible says. And it's just true. I'm not going to send you to hell watching TV. I'm not going to kill you drinking water. But I had a cousin in my family, if he didn't take pills every day, would drink so much water it would kill him. We went squirrel hunting one day. We lost him. Couldn't find him. His son dashed back behind us and ran to the creek. And Danny had his head stuck in the creek drinking water like a fish. His son grabbed him up and threw him out of the water. You take your pills, Daddy? No. Take your pills now. He stomach swole up like that. He was about to kill himself drinking water. I didn't know you could drink so much water to kill yourself. Maybe you didn't know you could watch enough TV and start believing what it said and start undermining your faith that it could get you to a place where you're suddenly lukewarm and doubtful. Anything in extremes is not healthy. Lukewarm is horrific to God because it means we have lost interest in him. We've lost interest in God. How do you lose interest in God? How do you grow apathetic about God? You know who God is? He's the the creator of all that is. Go online when you get home and punch up the picture, Hubble Telescope, empty spot in space, and just Safari and Google that, and it'll show you that the Hubble Telescope some years ago was pointed at the emptiest part of our sky. They could see nothing in this black void of space. For 10 days, they let it gather light, and when they develop the pictures, there's galaxy, not solar system, galaxy after galaxy after galaxy after galaxy into infinity as far as the telescope could see and others beyond that, and that's the emptiest part, a small window of one part of our sky, and you serve a God who spoke it all into existence. I don't care how absurd that sounds. That sounds a lot more reasonable to me than we all came from nothing. That's what evolutionists literally believe. All the matter in the universe coalesced into a dot. I'm quoting. Coalesced into a dot smaller than the period at the end of this sentence. And then suddenly the immense gravitational forces forced it all together until suddenly the dot literally became nothing. And then nothing exploded. And here we are. Nothing exploded. And here we are. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I have one simple question. That starts out with all the matter in the universe. What's the matter with that is, where did all that stuff come from? Matter just doesn't exist. It hadn't always been here. Where did it come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from God saying, let there be. Boom, and it was. And I can prove to you evolution is not true. If it, were, if it were true, it would still be going on. We still have monkeys and chimps and gorillas. And I know sometimes you look at the way I, thought, the way I walk and you wonder. But we don't have any missing links. If evolution were true, all these simple life forms would still be evolving. I said they would still be evolving, and they're not. We've lost interest in the Creator. You got caught in North Korea. For some reason, it came upon you to go take a vacation in North Korea. 
You got caught. They found a Bible in your luggage. Now, Kim Jong-un decides he's going to make an example of you and thumb his nose at Donald Trump. You're incarcerated. Your date for execution is set. You are taken out, and you're stood up against a wall. And a 12-man firing squad is standing in front of you, rifles at the ready. A little short North Korean sergeant comes out and says, And he goes, Aim! And all of a sudden, somebody from the crowd goes, No! No! I will die for them! And the guy runs up, takes your place, and the sergeant says, Okay, we will allow this. He blindfolds the guy. The guy stands in front of you. The sergeant goes, Ready! They fill him full of holes. Sergeant looks at you and says, You, go now. And you leave. You're going to feel incredibly indebted to Shanghua Po, who died for you. We serve a God who sent his spotless, sinless son to die for us, to hang on a cross, to bleed out for us. How could we ever become bored with that? We serve a God who hasn't even begun to reveal the complexities of who he is. His vastness is incomprehensible. His holiness is unknowable. His wisdom is unsearchable. How can we ever become disinterested and bored with a God like that? You want to overcome lukewarmness? Start thinking about eternity. Start thinking about the fact that in heaven, there's not going to be any internal revenue service. It's one of the most exciting things in my life, just to think of that. Not going to be any locks on any doors because there ain't going to be no criminal element over there. There will be 2% body fat European models walking all over heaven. That would be us. Thank you very much. I'm going to have God make me a Cracker Barrel biscuit the size of this room. I'm going to crawl through it with a backpack full of butter and honey and eat all I want and never gain a pound. Every morning, I'm going to have chicken fried chicken and white gravy, biscuits, pancakes with pecan syrup, and I'm going to have hash brown casserole and eat blocks of cheese and drink milkshakes. And for breakfast dessert, I'm going to have cheesecake, whipped cream, and anything else I want for as long as I want it. Yeah, I'll eat the fruit of the tree of life if I have to to stay alive, but I'm going to eat that other stuff too. Think about that. You'll never have a hurt ankle again. You'll never have a headache again. You'll never have to go to the dentist again. You'll never have to worry about health insurance. Because we're going to have, forget Obamacare and Trump care, we're going to have God care. What I'm talking about. Sometimes these spoken word videos that we see are very powerful. I want to challenge you to watch this. And Drew, I want you to come and get ready to play softly. We're going to close. Watch this poem of the spoken word. They say you are 
an all-consuming fire. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, good and forgiving and living in your love that stretches from everlasting to everlasting. They say, you give strength to the weary, increase the power of the weak, and bring the dead to life. You father to the fatherless, home for the homeless. You king of kings and lord of lords who created the cosmos without losing count of the hairs on my head. They say, you are God. And when I think about you, God, I ask What if all the things they say are true, God? What if the songs we sing are more than a metaphor? What if Bible verses are more than a cute Twitter bio? What if when we pray, we're not just talking to ourselves? What if it's all more real than our current definition of reality can contain? What if it's all true? What if you're gracious? What if you're good? What if you're not meant to be understood? What if you give peace? What if you have mercy? What if you're a well drawing life for the thirsty, humble and fair? What if you care? What if you're here and we're unaware? What if you're holy? What if you know me? What if it's true? Jesus Christ was your only son. What if he's the one given for all to break down the wall? What if your call is for me to be free and to see a new reality? What if you're the key? What if you're the way? Ancient of days, El Shaddai, Adonai. What if you are, I am? What if you are? What if you could change me? Let your love rearrange me from the sin that estranged me to a Savior who claimed me. And even though I can't see you, what if I need you? And I know you will just be you while I sit here and ask, what if? What if, what if we really understood the sacrifice that Jesus made by dying on the cross? What if we really understood the potential we have? What if you understood the potential you have to impact this world for the kingdom of God? I want to talk to you about this question, what if? What if you decided today to forgive everybody who had ever wronged you? What if you decided that today is going to be the first day of a brand new, radically different life for you? That from this day forward, you are going to get rid of the things in your life that ought not to be there. You're going to to evict the squatters in your promised land. You're going to get rid of pride. You're going to get rid of lust. You're going to get rid of lukewarmness. And all the other things that have decided to take up residence in your life. What if you decided to get rid of unforgiveness? What if you decided to get rid of anger? What if you decided to break the chains of a habit that has you in bondage that you can't seem to escape? What if? Are you ready to answer the what if question? I want everybody in the house to just stand to your feet right now as we close.
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself the question, what if today was the day I chose to completely change my life? It's not about knowing what to do. It's not about knowing the information. It's not about quoting Bible verses or having a card or attending a meeting. It's about your heart, your life, who you are, your very soul. I'm asking you to look inside your spirit right now and see who's Lord. Remember we talked about Lordship? I want you to ask yourself, what's Lord of my life? We know the answer ought to be Jesus, but does your life demonstrate that? Do the things we say, the things we do, do our lives demonstrate the Lordship of Christ? What if you decided today to surrender every single part of your life to His Lordship? What if today was the day that you were born completely new and fresh? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you living a Christian life? Or is there sin in your life? The power of that question is, all of us know the answer the moment I ask it. But it takes more than just knowing. It takes more than admitting it to ourselves. We have to do what's called repent, and we have to do what's called surrender. We repent of our sins, and we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. If you're in this room today, and you know that there's sin in your life, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes and look at me. But I only want you to do it if you mean business with me, with God, with yourself. Are you willing? Are you willing to make today the first day of the rest of your life, the first day of a brand new existence? If there's sin in your life, you know it. And when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes and look at me. One, two, three. Lift them up right now. I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. Praise God for you. I see yours and yours. Praise God for your honesty. Lift them up. I see yours right there. Praise God. I see yours. Praise God for you. It's time, isn't it? It's time to get real with God, isn't it? It's time to give Him Lordship. I see yours. Praise God for you. It's time to surrender everything. I see yours. Praise God for you. I'm going to ask everybody in the house, if you will, one last time to come gather up around the front. Everybody, just come. Get out of your seats. Let's gather right around the front. 